You're listening to 88.5 WFDD, Public Radio for the Piedmont. I'm David Ford. This Memorial Day, we remember those who died in active military service and pause to reflect on the sacrifices and suffering that occurred during wartime. Some of the most horrific examples of both occurred in the trenches of World War I. Author David Lubin discussed the war's impact on soldiers, culture, and science with me back in 2014. Here's an excerpt of that conversation on the intensity of trench warfare and some of the resulting advances in medicine. A quick warning that this conversation includes descriptions of injuries that may be disturbing. During World War I, there were trenches that extended from the English Channel to the Swiss Alps, or about 500 miles of trenches, where the enemies on the Western Front were facing one another. I use that word facing advisedly because no part of the man's body was more vulnerable than the face. If a person was hidden in a trench, most of the body was protected. But if he looked up over the trench or certainly went over the trench in an attack, the first thing that was going to be exposed and the part of the body that couldn't be armored was the face. So therefore, thanks to flying shrapnel and explosions and sniper attacks, men were having their jaws sheared off, their noses blasted away, cheeks hollowed out. And this was the first time in history where men could have such severe damage done to their faces and not die of their wounds. That's right. They were able to, to resuscitate them. And the, the scenes are described from the people who were there and living them. And at one British nurse, I've seen survivors without faces, without eyes, without limbs, men almost disemboweled, men with hideous truncated stumps of bodies. Yeah, and what happened is these men would be rescued by nurses such as the one who we were just reading the quote from. They would be taken behind the lines to hospitals and patched up well enough that eventually they could return to the lines. But their fellow soldiers found them so repulsive. They smelled awful. They looked terrible. It was so bad for morale that the military officials said, we can't just let these people go back, patch them up, and throw them back into the front lines, even though that's what the First World War was ultimately all about, was having fodder for the other side to shoot. But they said, we need to do something to restore these faces so the men are presentable back in the trenches. And that's when plastic surgery, modern plastic surgery, came about. And various heroic um, surgeons were making huge strides in plastic surgery. But even at that, even after multiple operations, sometimes they just could not bring a man's face back to anything resembling what we think of as a human face. And then, David, you go on to explore in, in some depth the impact on the soldiers themselves, just, just psychologically, even after plastic surgery. Well, for me, one of the most striking things I read was by this great surgeon, a New Zealand surgeon named Harold Gillies, who became like the great innovator of plastic surgery for those wounded men. But Gillies tells a story in his autobiography about how there was a man in the ward a beautiful boy who had lost his face, and mirrors were forbidden in the ward. But at one point, this guy got hold of a little shaving glass, and he saw himself in the mirror, and he was just so depressed by it that he just wouldn't come out. He wouldn't talk to anybody, and he spent the rest of his life as a recluse just because of the the sort of the mental damage, the psychological damage that his own self-image caused him. I thought it was telling that Gillies, I mean, here he is a, a renowned plastic surgeon in his day, and he's quoted as having written that only the blind kept their spirits up. I, mean, I know, what a beautiful irony and sad irony. Just, just so powerful. Well, I found it interesting how the uh, veterans with horrible limb injuries at this time were you know, eventually brought back into society, but those with facial injuries were really ostracized. Why was that? I mean, beyond the obvious. 
One of the first things that got me involved in this project, somewhere I read a story about in the BBC in England in the 20s and 30s, there was a group of men that had all lost their faces during the war, and they were so sort of repulsive to the common everyday eye that they just stayed reclusively inside the BBC studios. So these men had beautiful voices in all over the country. People were listening to them and hearing their golden tones and imagining them to be, you know, these very handsome people. But that they would have to have a lad, a carryout boy, you know, go out to the cornered restaurants to find something for them to eat because they didn't really want to go out on the street themselves and be seen. 